You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, uh, and with me, wait, no, not as she is, oh, we must be in a different universe or something, because Christy, you look a lot more like your husband, Michael? Yeah, I'm... Instead of her Uncle Ben dying, my Uncle Ben died in this universe. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah. That guy dies a lot. That's awful. He really, he really does. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, your wife, uh, you know, was benevolent of enough to uh, let you join us tonight since we're going to be talking about End of the Spider-Verse. So welcome to the show, Thank Michael. Thank you. I'm sure everyone else is probably not as happy about it, but, eh, you know, get over it. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, and um, it's been a long time, but it was it was time for him to come back, and well, he's the only person that I know who's worn a Spider-Man costume while I was sitting next to him <laughs> while we ate pizza together, and none other than Aaron Goins is here. Oh yes, I forgot about that. I totally forgot that I've worn Spider-Man in public. Uh, not yet. Yeah, I mean, not just in public, but you've literally walked around the streets of. Atlanta dressed as Spider-Man, so. Yes, yes, I have. But now the new, like, Spider-Man from Into the Spider-Verse actually wears, like, an overcoat, so it'll be a little bit more modest next time I do it. And you can wear uh, you can wear uh, sweatpants, too, so. Yeah, sweatpants, mismatching shoes, green overcoat. I think I can do okay, it. Okay, yeah. I'm going to hold you to it because I wanted you to do it this year so that I could be Spider-Ham, but you didn't do it, so, so, so next year we'll... <laughs> All right, we'll have our own Spider-Verse. Team up costume. You know, I just I got to say that uh before we even get started with anything, I kind of love that well, we, you know, the Simpsons the movie really predicted, you know, that Spider-Pig. You know, Spider-Pig, Spider-Pig does whatever a Spider-Pig does. You know, so I mean, we we got we finally have our, you know, Spider-Pig. I'm sure Michael can give us the the full history. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm he's sure. actually been around much longer than that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. He's been I'm around, I think, even. since the 80s. Uh, mm. Yeah, 1983. Mm. Well, I mean, it's not a comic book uh, universe place if there aren't, isn't one universe where there's cartoon characters. That's DC right. has that too with like Captain Carrot and things like that. So, um, yeah. But uh, as we mentioned, we're here to talk about uh, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. I'm really excited to dive into this one with these guys. And uh, thank you for, for joining us. You can find us all over the place. Make sure you are checking us out wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the 602 Club. Make sure you subscribe so you get the show as soon as I drop it. Plus... Uh, hit us up with a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Uh, it has been a while since anybody has left us a review, and we're feeling kind of neglected. But it also, uh, you know, when you do that, it helps other people find the show. So if you like the show, let us know what you think, and uh, we'll even read it out on the show to everyone to let you uh, let everybody know what you thought. Um, of course, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM, where uh, 
proud partner with Trek FM here on the 602 Club. Uh, you can also find us online at trek.fm, where you could also go to trek.fm slash contact to shoot, shoot us an email. Uh, select the 602 Club, and then that email comes to me. And maybe you want to talk to everybody who's uh, listening to the 602 Club and the Trek FM Network. Uh, you can do that with our Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. Type Babel in the search field on Facebook, or if you're on the website, any of the show pages, there's a button that says discussion, and just follow that, and it'll bring you right in. So we talked a little bit, like way even before we started recording, guys, but this idea of kind of like entering the Spider-Verse, and so I wanted to know from both of you where you were coming from when you went into this movie, how excited you were, did you think it was going to be good? Aaron, I think you even got to see part of this movie at uh, New York Comic Con. Yeah, New York Comic Con. I actually made it into the into the Spider Verse panel, which was hard to get into, and they surprised us with the first thirty. I think they said it was like thirty four minutes of the movie, which this was way back in October, early October. So it was still unfinished. So there were some shots that weren't completely finished, but we got to see all the way up until the death of the initial Spider-Man. So that was, wow. yeah. And I was blown away. Like I did not know going into that panel. I thought at the best we were going to get clips. So the fact that we got to actually sit down and watch the first 30 minutes of the movie. And then they had Lord and Miller there with some of the actors for a Q and a afterwards. It was all just, it blew my mind. And I just, I knew just from seeing the first 30 minutes, I was like this, I'm going to love this movie. That's, that's awesome, man. So for you, I mean, did you get to talk about it? I mean, was there were you able to talk about it, or they did they want you to kind of keep things hush hush, other than saying, "Hey, go see this movie." Yeah, I mean, they asked that nobody said anything. I mean, they know stuff can leak out. It was kind of funny though because they the thirty obviously the first thirty minutes of the movie they did not include in the live stream for that panel, but the Q and A they did, and one of the actors did not. The guy who did the voice of Miles didn't realize that it was being live broadcasted. And spoiled the death of the initial Spider-Man right in the first like oh, no. minute of the Q and A, and they were like, "Oh no, no, this is live!" And he was like, "Oh, okay, whoops!" Like, well, maybe he dies. What's up with these Spider-Man actors being such uh, like uh, giant spoiler bombs? Yeah, it was Tom Holland's the same way. They they didn't even get for uh, Infinity War. They didn't even give him a full script, and he's like, "So you're gonna?" They're like, "No, because we can't trust you to keep your mouth shut." <laughs> that is really funny uh michael uh where were you when you like saw the trailer and stuff what did you think of this one before you were going in were you excited about it did you think it was really good so i mean it's a bit of a mixed bag i didn't know anything about it until uh when i went to see the last jedi or the yeah the last jedi um for opening night and i was sitting next to my buddy who's actually a uh he's actually a, a comic artist and um you know that's that's like the big awesome thing about this movie is the the art and uh all of a sudden it popped up and me and him were just like freaking out like children uh you know like watching this i was like oh this looks amazing and and like the uh the spider-man story is like one of my favorite uh spider-man stories um and and you know a lot of this was was based off of that one so, um, I was excited from that aspect, 
But then on the other aspect, there's so many things about it that I'm like, none of none of this should work. Like this movie, in my opinion, was far, far better than it had any right to be. I mean, it just when you when you look at the things on paper, you're like, no, this is too much. It's too convoluted. It's not going to work. But somehow it did. I remember seeing the trailer for the first time, which I think the trailer you were saying you saw it during The Last Jedi. So that's like a year before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea. I hadn't even heard anything about this being in production. I didn't know this was a thing. So I remember seeing the trailer for the first time, I think online. I didn't see it in the theater and just being blown away by it. Like, wow, this, how did this fly under the radar? And I feel like even up until it opening, it kind of flew under the radar. But, you know, the obviously the reviews early on and even up until now, just I think people were surprised by how good this movie was. Yeah. I'll be honest. This was a movie that I saw the trailer to and I poo-pooed completely. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to see that, you know. And part of it, I think, is that I have some serious Spider-Man fatigue. Um, and what is that? I Spider-Man fatigue. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, that's when you're tired of seeing Spider-Man movies. Um, and so, and, and Spider-Man has never been like a favorite character of mine. Right. And so, you know, for me, it was it was very different than a lot of people who just super love Spider-Man. And, you know, seeing the fact that this movie was getting these incredible reviews. I mean, this movie has amazing reviews. And the fact that, you know, people are just loving it. It's like, okay, well, maybe I should go see it. And I, I, I mentioned this before on the show a few weeks back. And it, it, you know, I feel like every year there's one movie that's like that, you know, where it's like, I didn't want to see it, but it got such good reviews that I went and saw it. And sometimes you're like, oh, it was amazing. And then at other times you're like, no, I was right. I, I shouldn't have seen that. And I, this, this movie completely blew me away. I mean, I, it, won me over. I went in as complete skeptic thinking this is probably going to be maybe okay. And I came out and this is, I guess, spoiler alert, but I think this is one of the best movies of 2018. Like just legitimately hands down one of the best movies I saw all year. And, um, right up there. I mean, I, I had more fun in this than I did in, Black Panther. I had more fun in this than I did Infinity War. I had more fun in this than I did any other Marvel superhero movie last year. Like it's that to me, it was that good. So yeah, I mean, and I say that because again, I went in completely skeptical of this film. I just didn't think it it was going to be good, and I was wrong. So you know, I'm free to I'm 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 ready to admit, hey. I was totally wrong, and I'm so glad that I was wrong. And and even getting to see this a second time yesterday, uh, I I got to take my wife to finally get a chance to see it. Just blown away again by how much fun I was having in the movie, and like I I was like, oh man, I can't even wait to I just can't wait to own this movie now at home. And and part of that too is I think just that this movie. Uh, its visual style is unlike, I think, anything we've ever seen in, in just about any comic book movie. The closest that I could come to this and anything we've seen comic book movie-wise was Scott Pilgrim versus the world, um, and that's live action. But just the kind of the, the completely embracing the comic book of the sense of, like, we're actually going to do comic book things where, like, 
graphics come up on screen as somebody's talking, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I just, that was as close as we got. So yeah, I was super jazzed to, you know, find a time to actually talk about this movie on the show. One of the things that, that I was also really surprised in the fact of this movie was that there are, I, and I didn't expect this, for there to be some great themes. You know, I really enjoyed the theme of choice in the movie. And I really liked that they, you know, Miles Morales has a very different type of origin story here than what we got with, you know, Peter Parker. And we've seen many times now on screen. And, you know, he's not really even a character who necessarily wants to be Spider-Man completely. Like, he does want it, but he doesn't want it, and he doesn't really know how to have it yet. And, like, I just really enjoyed the fact that they explored those themes there because I think, you know, the idea of choice and choosing um, to act in a certain way and, you know, that every choice that we make creates consequences, you know, um, to those actions and that, that we have to live with. I thought that was a really strong movie, especially a movie kind of aimed a little bit more at kids. But, you know, I came away thinking, wow, this is this is some really deep stuff for a movie that's animated comic book-wise and is, yeah, I really appreciated that they went there with that. buddy of mine, uh, Paul Herman, who uh, people may know him as P-Thug on uh, Twitter, but uh, he he does the uh, a Marvel podcast, and he actually mentioned something about it that I was like, oh my god! Like you know, it was the light bulb coming on in my head where he he's like, because um, you know he, he does a lot of the the Star Wars podcasts and stuff as well, and um, he said basically this movie it had all the themes and tackled all the the stuff that the Last Jedi did, but like competently. <laughs> and and he was talking about how like you look at like the six one six Luke, or I'm sorry six one six Luke. Okay, now we're getting really weird. Six one six Spider Man, or, or Peter Parker and Luke Skywalker, and then you look at Miles and Ray, and like how close those characters are, and like what the the movies are trying to say. And you know he talked about just like how well this one actually pulled it off, and also like you were kind of happy. You're like, oh yeah, I mean, Spider-Man's kind of a bum, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, everything feels, you know, like you, you actually feel better and you don't like feel depressed <laughs> walking out of it. I That's so funny that you brought, I was actually thinking the same exact thing, but I wasn't going to bring it up <laughs> because well, the last Jedi can just be such a hot topic and really discussion around it can just right. turn people one direction or the other. Um, plus being on a podcast, you know, we're talking about Spider-Man, but I'm podcasting with two guys here that are big Star Wars fans too. So I, I knew the conversation, if we turned it to last Jedi, I might go, you know, take over the podcast. But now that you brought it up, um, (laughs) like I said, if anybody has any problems, blame, uh, P thug 22 on, um, (laughs) but yeah, it's actually, funny to hear someone else say that because I had been thinking very similar things about the portrayal of Peter Parker and Miles Morales as compared to Luke and Ray. And I completely agree that this movie did it better. Um, and they found a way to show two characters who have big fan bases, um, but not disrespect either character and make, make each chair, each character have a, you know, these cheerable moments where you're just like, 
yeah, Peter Parker's awesome. Or like, yeah, Miles Morales is awesome. Like I can go there as an older guy who's been, been a fan of Peter Parker for many, many years and really feel excited about the way he's portrayed. But I can sit next to my six-year-old son who now thinks he that he's Miles Morales and won't go anywhere without his hood up. You know, <laughs> so like that's just, it spoke to both generations without without feeling like it had to make one look bad to make room for the other. And I think that's, you know, once again, this is, I know it's a hot topic, but for me as a per, of personal opinion about The Last Jedi, it didn't do a very good job of that. And people that were big fans of Luke felt like his portrayal was something that at the end you were pretty depressed about. Right. I, and I, I love that you guys are pulling that out because I'll be honest, it's not something I thought of, which is kind of strange. But I think you guys have kind of nailed it. And and part of that was the, the storyline we get there between these two characters and their choices. I mean, Peter B. Parker has made choices, right, that um, because he's allowed fear to rule his life. You know, he's allowed fear of having kids actually come between him and his love, Gwen Stacy. You know, and I think this kind of shows um, the detriment, you know, just real quick, of the Star Wars sequels of not dealing with the Luke stuff in the first movie and leaving it till the second movie and trying to do it all in one place. Because by the end of this movie, you have a Peter Parker who has not only found himself again, um, but has also trained another generation of Spider-Man in another universe how to be Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And I thought that was really nice because, again, you get these characters dealing with their choices and by the end we get miles making the choice i'm going to be the one who sends everybody back and i will make sure that we finish the job just as i promised all the way at the beginning you know when that other spider-man died i made a promise and i'm going to keep that promise and i just thought that was really strong to watch a character deal with the ramifications of I mean, gosh, can, I can't even imagine making that choice where you're staring at Spider-Man and you know he's dying and you make him a promise, but you have no idea how you're going to keep that promise. Because Miles doesn't know anything at this point about being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's a really strong place to go because it juxtaposes with Fisk, who we see because of his actions has lost his family. And he's really unwilling to change because of it at all. In fact, he's going to turn the universe upside down to rectify his choices, you know, instead of living with the consequences. He's going to try and cheat death, basically. And I just thought that was really nice because, you know, they each have a choice on what to do when something happens and one tries to cheat and the other just deals with it. And I thought that that's such a it's such a great message for anyone in this world to be seeing. I just I really responded to the way that they brought these characters to life and what they did with them, especially when it came to like the choices they make. Like and it reminded me so much of, you know, in Harry Potter, Aaron, you know, and uh, Dumbledore says to Harry, you know, it's not who we are, but it's the choices that we make to define who we are, basically. And Miles really lives that out, but so does, like you were saying, so does Peter B. Parker. He made those choices that led him down one path, and he decides to turn around and make other choices. And it really does come down to us to to, to live the life that we want to live by the choices we make. And we have to deal with the consequences, but that doesn't mean that we can't turn around 
And, you know, um, so don't follow Ace of Bases advice and, you know, turn around. Don't turn around as bad advice. I love the, I love the portrayal of Peter B. Parker in this movie. Um, and it adds, like, we were kind of joking around about the whole cosplay side of things, but it is something as, as I've gotten older, I've like, I've out aged most of the characters that you can cosplay as. And, you know, if I cosplay as Peter Parker, typically I'm, I'm about 10 to 15 years older than most portrayals that you'll see of Peter Parker. So the fact that there's like, there's now an official Peter Parker that has, you know, has a little bit of stubble on his face and a little bit of gray showing up in his hair. Um, I think if I did the math right, I, I think he's exactly the same age in this movie as I am now. So it was like this cool, like, oh, wow, this is like, this is my Peter Parker. And I, I haven't, you know, especially coming off of watching Tom Holland plays Peter Parker, who he, he looks like he's 15. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, yay, there's still a Peter Parker for us old guys. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, him as a character allows you to bring in both sides of the audience. Like you said, you have you and then you have your son. You know, and you both have characters that you can relate to. And I thought the nice thing about the Peter B. Parker character is that I think we all relate to being the guy who's in his mid-30s, late-30s, almost 40, <clears throat> me. Um, and, you know, looking back in your life and seeing the choices that you made and feeling kind of stuck wherever it is you are. I'm sorry you know? I let and, you and, down. Yeah, with the bread. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The bread scene. Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to be there for you. <laughs> she's like, okay. She's like, it's um, just bread. <laughs> we will get that bread to your table. Um, but you you have that 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 place, I think this, you know, like the best Disney movies, but I think even in, in, in this sense, it does it even better because you really are invested in a storyline that speaks completely to adults. And you're invested in a storyline that speaks completely to younger kids, but there's also a lot of crossover there too. And so they've crafted a movie that as you get older, you can age with it. Like I'm right there with you. I think Aaron, his character portrayal adds so much to the movie because, you know, you get the original Spider-Man played by Chris Pine and, you know, it's hard to match perfection and and that spider-man is definitely as perfect as it gets like you know he seems to have no flaws and that's really fun but at the same time it's like it's not like i relate to the guy at all <laughs> because i definitely look more like peter b parker especially around the middle <laughs> post his pizza his pizza binge the <laughs> He, yeah, that I was surprised. I didn't know it was Chris Pine in the first uh, first time I watched it. I thought that it was is it Jake Johnson? Um, yeah, Jake Johnson. I thought it was Jake guy. Johnson just trying to sound cool. Which their voice, the tone of their voice is actually not that much different. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, that's just Jake Johnson playing it more straight. And then later on, I heard it was Chris Pine. I was like, oh wow, that's really cool that they got Chris Pine to do a pretty small role. Um, you know, in this movie and then, you know, other voices, uh, you know, we have Nicolas Cage who pops up later on that plays a different version of Spider-Man. So we got the, we have like almost the more notable names play the less central characters. And I think it works too. Cause it, it's not as like distracting, 
you know, that where you, you can actually get in the movie and you're not thinking, oh, that's actually Chris Pine talking or, you know, um, but that's my thing. Like, I don't, I like, I love Spider-Man, but I don't just love, you know, 616 Spider-Man, you know, like I love all the iterations because I think that it's something that they've done a great job of telling stories where, you know, like Miles and Peter aren't that different, you know, but they are, but they're not. They, they still learn the same lessons and in ways that different people can relate to them and everything. And that's what I love about, you know, like the Spider-Verse, you know, all the, the different uh, Spider-Man. I, I've, I've said beforehand, uh, and I was telling a friend, I'm like, eh, you know, I don't know. I just don't care for the, the legacy characters, you know, how... Um, there's like Wally West Flash, and then there's Jay Garrick Flash, and um, you know uh, Barry Allen, and then Bart Allen. You know, so it's like it gets too, you know, it just it's too much or whatever. Except for the giant exception of Spider Man, I love all the iterations of Spider Man, and I mean, yeah, I, I think I think it's a, something of like where you're saying like, oh, your son can relate to Miles, you can relate to Peter, I can relate to Spider Ham, you know, like. There, there's someone for everyone. <laughs> I will say that the inclusion of is it Spider Ham? Is that what they call him in the in the comics? Yes, yeah, Spider Ham, mm-hmm. Peter Porker, Peter Porker. Yeah, um, that was the one thing that I felt like in my taste in movies that they pushed the dial a little far on, like the ridiculous. That I was like, I could have, I could have taken this whole movie. No disrespect to Spider Ham fans. But I could have I could have taken this whole movie minus that character just because they really, you know, pushed heavy on the kind of ridiculous off the wall humor with that character. See, in all honesty, I was actually because I was excited when I found out he was in the movie. I was super stoked. But I was actually kind of surprised because to me, he wasn't even close to being the standout that Spider Spider-Man Noir was. You know, I felt like. I like think Noir is like based because of the look of the character and mm-hmm. most of the the way the character kind of acts, it can fit in our world. You know, like it can fit in yeah. the normal world where it doesn't stand out. And the anime girl, um, Penny Parker, Penny? yeah, you know, she even was a little, it was a little odd to see like animated, even though it's all animated, but like that style <laughs> of animation. That's with a cartoon. Like, yeah. <laughs> with a very realistic. So they, like you were saying, I think this, I don't know if this was pre-show or maybe this was the very, very beginning of the show, but you were kind of saying there's no reason why this movie should have worked, but it did somehow. Right. And so I think kind of that, those type of things, you're really taking a risk. You're bringing mm-hmm. in this Looney Tunes type version of Spider-Man into a story that, you know, you see, um, you see, Miles's uncle die. You know, you see very serious stuff, and then in another scene, you have uh, Anvil fall on the head of Scorpion because because of <laughs> you know Spider Ham. So it's right, like right, they're yeah. really taking a chance and a risk where they're going to lose the audience and some of this ridiculousness. But it did work. Like there was no point in the movie where I was just like, "Oh, that's stupid." Mm-hmm. There was a couple more I points mean, in the movie that I rolled my eyes though. Okay, well, with dialogue like, "Okay, little fella, Kingpin's gonna send a lot of mugs after you," and I'm talking hard, boys, real biscuit boxers. Can you fight him off at once? <laughs> I mean, that that is. That's just great dialogue. I think he um, called somebody a turtle shell slapper at one point. A turtle slapper? <laughs> Real turtle slapper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, Nick Cage was just beyond brilliant in the casting there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, 
talking about the 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 kind of the lesser characters like Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Ham and Penny Parker, I think each one does their thing relatively well. I think the one that works the best is Spider-Man Noir. Mm-hmm. The other two they have their ups and downs for me, but it, it was never enough to completely detract from the movie or, you know, bring it down in a ratings wise or anything. They were just, I think, the lesser characters in the story, especially, honestly, Penny Parker. I feel like she's the one we get the least amount of time with. Right. Um, and and so, but all together, I think they created a really fun team. And, and I think the thing that, like you said, Aaron and Michael, this shouldn't work, but allowing, I, I think I've read enough, you know, DC comics where, uh, specifically where you have all these multiverses crossover mm-hmm. and you do have a cartoon character standing next to, you know, a normal human character. And it's just not weird because, you know, you're reading like multiversity by Grant Morrison and that's just what happens. You know, this doesn't, this felt like they just embraced the you know the spider verse and really what that meant and i thought that was really smart we're not going to make any apologies for what we're going to bring into the movie whether it's spider ham or you know a giant robotic you know spider person thing robot with you know person inside of Mm -hmm. them you know it's just like we're just we're going to play it completely straight in that sense and I, i thought that was great um but i think you know, it is kind of all down to the character of Miles who brings this home. You know, as a character, you know, I didn't know a lot about Miles Morales other than, you know, hearing that really Spider-Man uh, Homecoming really kind of stole most of, you know, Mother Miles Morales story and just put it as a Peter Parker story. Um, and this, though, I, I mean, I really, in- I like this character a lot mm-hmm. and Maybe it's just because it's it's different than the Peter Parker stuff that we've got for so long. And, you know, he's got his parents. You know, it's not a, that's not the loss that he has. Um, and I I think even as buying him as a teenager and everything, I just really loved the character. I thought he was hilarious. He was fun. And the, the arc that he has to go through, I mm-hmm. thought, was really interesting. And I thought... Um, to me, it's it's his story that really holds the movie together and 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 makes it work. And the the voice actor was fantastic that they had for him. His interplay with you know the other Spider People was great, and then his interplay with his parents was great as well. So it's like they really built into this movie a, a character story that felt just as good as anything live action that they've ever done with a Spider Person. Yeah, and I mean I think a lot of it. Two is, I, I think in, in one side, this is one of the reasons why I said that it shouldn't work. But then on the other side, it's exactly why it works. Um, you know, it works because they stayed so close to the source material. Like that, that um, Miles, like that's very close to his story in, in the comics, you know. Um, there's so much of it that, that I'm like, oh, they pulled from that storyline. They pulled from that storyline. But at the same time, they pulled from like five or six different uh, story arcs. And I'm like, how can you juggle like five or six story arcs and and make it work like that? And somehow they did. And I, I really like the fact that they introduced Miles and it was such a long introduction to the character where we really don't get 
that version of Spider-Man, like in his Spidey suit, until at the very end. You know, mm-hmm. we got to see the full when progression of the it. character. When what's that? When he earns it, he right. gets the suit. You know, yeah. He, you see him kind of grow into that, and you know, we even get this. We get an entire scene where him and Spider-Man are swinging. You know, or have this whole scene at that at that lab, and they're swinging through the forest where he's literally wearing like a store-bought mm-hmm. Spider-Man costume, which is ridiculous and hilarious all at the same time. And, you know, they probably could have been tempted to have him kind of realize, you know, his spider abilities earlier so they could have him in the suit earlier. But I like that they left it till the end, which made it that much more meaningful when he did finally earn it. That's the thing that makes this movie work. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with choice. Like, Miles has to make the right choice to become the Spider-Man that's going to be worthy of having the suit. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's the thing that makes this movie so strong. Like you said, Aaron, you know, sometimes we rush to get characters in the suit so fast. And here I I really think that being a superhero is about making the choices that um, make you a superhero. And he has to choose this for the right reasons and otherwise he won't be a hero. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we get to see all of the iterations of him kind of trying to reach for being the hero, but continually kind of struggling with what that means and not necessarily being ready for it and finding the place where he's actually ready to put on the suit and make the choices that are going to lead him to be able to put his life on the line for everyone in the multiverse, I thought was really strong. And they don't, you know, this is an animated movie. I think it's two hours, but it never feels like they're rushing the story. And I think that's a real testament to the storytelling that we get here. Um, so, you know, with the character, I, I think they let you spend enough time in his shoes, in his untied shoes, um, to... <laughs> yeah, it's a choice. To Yeah, it's a choice. Um, you know, I, I just, I think that's really smart. Um, and I thought, too, on top of that, you know... I don't know, this really spoke to me as an adult, but Miles dealing with the idea of expectations people have on you and dealing with what those expectations are and do I want to live up to those expectations um, and, or do I want to forge my own way and, and figuring that out I thought was a really good part of the story because you know I think too many times in movies you know we see where the parents have these kind of like expectations on the kid, but the whole movie is about the kid finding their own way um, because the parents really don't know. And that this movie wasn't about that because he's got parents who really love him and just want what's best for him, you know? Uh, And I thought that was a really strong, I thought that was really strong to see that it's, it's not just about this like parent versus kid thing, but it's, it's about them finding it together, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, even the thing that I loved was because, like I said, I, I mean, a lot of this is stuff where they're they're taking from, like I said, the, the heart of of the comics, you know, like his relationship with his dad and his relationship with his uncle, you know, and how he has to sort of reconcile becoming Spider Man because, you know, you've got his uncle who is totally, you know, he, who's a criminal, and then you have his dad who's you know, on the polar 
opposite end end of the spectrum you know of like no spider-man's a criminal he doesn't do things uh by the book i'm a cop i do things by the book and by the end like he gets his dad's blessing to be spider-man you know and like that's that was something that was important to him to becoming spider-man and all the different relationships that we got to see in the movie and he had like a number of different like father figures that kind of mm-hmm. played different roles his actual father and then you know peter parker and then his uncle as well and even into the end like that reveal and i guess you probably knew michael because you had read the comics but i don't know if like if, if that's something that happened in the comics too but his uncle ends up being prowler oh yeah yeah i saw that coming okay. from ahead of time see i had no idea so when that scene happened i was like oh my gosh that's so yeah. crazy because you you have that whole scene where they're painting together and you really build this liking to that character and you're like oh this is his Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different type of father figure for him that he can confide in and then only to find out that this is a guy that's trying to kill him. Well, the um, funny thing is they did it so well. Christine knew, but it still took her by surprise. And I'm like, you knew that. She's like, I know, but but <laughs> I thought they might change it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's really cool, Miles Morales was based off of Donald Glover. Um, yeah. And and so his uncle, Aaron, was actually in the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming played by donald glover so is that like an actual like confirmed that's who the character is or is that just a fan theory based on the character oh no no they said that that that's that was basically like a a nod to that because he even mentions his uh he's got a nephew um i don't think he calls him miles but he mentions he has a nephew um so yeah and and, i mean he's now the 616 uh version is obviously different than the uh ultimate universe i can't remember the the numbers for that one um they're they're different versions of the prowler but yeah yeah i just i loved i love that reveal because i just i wasn't in the know Mm -hmm. and then to have him you know face off against miles and holding him off the edge of that you know roof and making the decision to not kill him and only to die himself like i just thought that was really heavy stuff um, and I like that these animated movies are willing to deal with that kind of stuff because, you know, they they have these really serious themes, even though they know there's going to be younger viewers and they can have these serious themes without being ultra violent. You like, you know, he got shot, but you didn't really see anything, you know, violent. Um, so I, I was really impressed with that specific part of the story and that character. And I feel like I'm the kind of person who which, you know, I like a lot of old horror films and stuff. Um, cause I feel like a lot of times the stuff they don't show you is way worse because it, like your mind fills in the gaps. Like to me, it was extremely brutal when the, uh, ultimate Peter Parker is killed. You know, I oh, was just, yeah. I was like, Oh my God. Like I, I knew he was going to die. I knew that's where they were going with it. But, um, cause that's, that's how he dies in, in the ultimate universe, uh, more or less. It's, it's a little bit different, but, um, I just didn't expect them to to be so brutal with it. But then again, they don't really show you anything. So it's just, I guess, like what my head filled in. It's more the sound, the thud, the sound Mm -hmm. of like, you know, Kingpin's arms coming down. And he does the same thing to Miles at the end. You know, the way he's he's really laying into Miles at the end, too. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is that part. You're right. That that has a, a violence in and of itself without actually showing violence. I thought it got a little intense. I kept looking over at my son um, <laughs> as Miles was getting beat up. And I'm like, oh, is this a little too much for him? I, I think, you know, what I loved about, uh, you know, 
Aaron Davis Prowler, and then, you know, Miles' father, and then the fact that you have, you know, the original Peter Parker in this universe, and then you have Peter B. Parker. I really appreciated that this is a whole movie about father and father figures Mm -hmm. and the importance of those in a young boy's life. And it's not just, I mean, the fact that he has a dad who really truly loves him and all that dad wants when, you know, when they're having, he's having the conversation, you know, when the door is between them and he's like, I just see a light in you. And I just, I want, I want you to be the best version of you. Like I know whatever it is that you want to be, you're going to be amazing at. And it, it was just an incredible moment to see, a father-son relationship like that. And of course, Miles can't say anything, but he's just, he's kind of, it's almost as if in that moment, he kind of breaks inside realizing that my dad isn't my enemy. You know, my dad wants me. That's why he's been pushing me. Like he loves me. He wants me to be the best. And that's what all of this, the other father figures in his life do as well. I mean, even Aaron in his own way is trying to find a way for him to be, you know, him, you know, like to bring out his talents, his mm-hmm. art talents. And then both of the Spider-Men find different ways to to bring that out in Miles. And I just thought, you know, to me, there is nothing better than a movie that celebrates good, strong male role models for boys to teach uh, a young boy how to be a man. Mm-hmm. And each of these men in this movie has a different way of doing that for Miles and each of them is important in his life and it just reminds you of that that it you know even if you don't have kids you can be a role model for somebody um you know you might have niece you might have nephews you know you you might work um in a boys and girls club or you know you might work with your local church or something like that but you might have get the flung into another really, dimension and <laughs> yeah you might fall into another dimension or you might be like Aaron and be the the father of a young boy and get to sit down and watch this movie together and and have conversations about it and i think that's just so strong and i really appreciated this movie for not backing away from the idea that Young boys do need good, strong men that show them what it means to be a good man. That's so important. This movie brings another thing, too, because my son, for a while, was convinced that I was (laughs) Spider-Man because I had the costume, but then kind of realized, oh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man, not Aaron Goins, so you can't be Spider-Man. But now that they've introduced the idea of this multiverse, then I you know, I can go back and be like, well, in this universe, I am Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. That's nice. You can continue lying to your kid. <laughs> Whatever hey. makes them look up to me. That's right. <laughs> oh, so you come more from the Prowler side of things than the Peter Parker side kind of things. I see. No, but I mean, I just, I think, you know, that's, that's something that's great in this movie. And I really appreciate them not backing away from that. We didn't talk about, you know, when we're talking about all the spider people, but I, you know, I've never seen spider woman in a movie, uh, spider Gwen, or I've never, I mean, I just know she exists in comics, but I didn't really know her at all, but I kind of really loved her in this movie. I thought she was great. And, you know, the fact that they kind of gave the little tease that she'll be back in a sequel, was really exciting because I thoroughly enjoyed her character. I thought she was really well done. Uh, Haley Steinfeld did a fantastic job voicing her as well. And 
I mean, her and Miles make a team that I want to see more. Like, this is the Spider-Verse that I want to be in. I don't care about live-action Spider-Man movies anymore. Like, this is... She and Miles helped me kind of fall in love with spider characters. And, um, yeah, I thought she was really well done, really strong, and just smartly written. It's not like she's one-upping anybody or anything. It's not about male versus female or any of that stuff. This is really just a fantastically written character. And I kind of would almost like to see a movie with just her in it from her universe. I think that would be awesome. So, like, I enjoyed the character that much. Well, and the way that they did it, you could completely, you know, you could get that. You could get a Spider-Gwen movie and it wouldn't feel like they're retreading anything because of the way that they just pull her into the film. I mean, that's the beauty of a multiverse, right? Especially when your first movie, you know, because we could see this as, because of the success of it, this is likely the first of many Spider-Verse movies that are going to be coming from Sony. And that's going to be their kind of little piece of the pie when it comes to, you know, Spider-Man. You know, Marvel's got their version uh, that they're doing in the the MCU movies. But this now, because this is so successful, they're, they're going to make more. And so the idea of a multiverse, they can really tell any story they want, any version of Spider-Man they want. I mean, they could give us a Peter, a Peter Parker movie pre him dying. You know, we could get any, you know, get a full Chris Pine Peter Parker movie. So like there's just so much they could do with it now. And I think Spider-Gwen was just ripe for seeing success in the theater in in theatrical films and this is kind of cool that this is where she gets her introduction uh, because i think we're gonna see a lot more of her yeah i i've been trying to get christine into spider gwen for a while and she's like eh, you know whatever like her, her costume's kind of cool like may, maybe i'll check it out later whatever so then once we saw this i was like what'd you think of spider gwen she's like yeah she's really cool and i'm like i told you Although, I mean, unless it's something that I haven't read yet, um, I was a little kind of like, really? That's a choice we're going with? Like, they gave her the the eyebrow ring and then the, the side shave, which she does not have in the comics, um, unless I'm just missing something. I don't recall her ever having those things, but... I'm just, I'm not a fan of the side shave in general. So I think that's, that's my only it's little a ta- It's traveling. a taste thing. I mean, I, I will defend it. I like, I think that's a kind of a cool haircut. Um, well, hey, a I, lot of people thought the mullet was a cool haircut. Well, at yeah, the time. like I, I, I'm not saying it won't be dated. I think the high and tight <laughs> that all the guys wear is probably going to look pretty dated eventually. And we'll all laugh at that too. But I think, um, I think for this character, I didn't really have any preconceived notions on how she should have looked. I mean, I've seen a lot of imagery of her. But usually in full costume and not really what her what she looks like without the the mask. Um, so I kind of thought maybe that's the way she looked in the comics uh, when she showed up with the side shave. But I thought it worked for the character. Well, and I just appreciate. I mean, like whether I I like it or not is you know regardless of that I I don't really care. You know I thought that it was funny the way they introduced the fact that she gets the haircut in the first place because Miles Tore fingers have stuck to her hair. Yeah. And he, instead of, you know, the, her pulling out her hair, she gets the haircut and that it creates a little bit of animosity between her because she didn't want the haircut right. in the first place. Like, that wasn't what she was going for. She was like, like, she oh had her God, normal is- hair. <laughs> and then he ruined it with, hey. I um, like it, the, so, I like it the, later on in the movie when Miles sees her again. He's like, I like your haircut. And she's like, you're not allowed to like my haircut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was awesome. So, you know, I just think it was... 
it was for her as a character they found a way to integrate her in the story that felt so organic just like you know i think her and both of the peter parkers are the ones that really feel the most like integrated into the story the other three that they add are kind of more for like fun oh, and yeah. to kind of add the spider verse mm-hmm. but those three make up the core along with miles of of this storyline and so i really i just enjoyed her a little flirtation there between her and Miles and it's cute you know and and mm-hmm. and but at the same time um she uh, also helps format who Miles is going to be by kind of teaching him and challenging him and not letting him go out before he's ready and I thought that was a nice thing about her too like she's not willing to let somebody go out there and do this job until they're ready to do it because she knows what can happen and like I, I thought that was a great part of the character as well. I like the visual call out toward the end of the movie. You have, uh, she falls and Miles has to kind of dive after her, which is, um, you know, as many people would know, just even from the movies, but also from the comics, like Gwen Stacy in a couple of versions yes. dies that way. You know, she falls and Peter tries to save her, but she ends up, you know, I think snapping her neck or something before. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> the tension of the, the web snaps her neck. So, right. So I think that was kind Spider-Man of a cool, actually killed her. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a cool nod to that, that event happening, you know, mm-hmm. but in this, in this version, obviously she doesn't die. Um, and I thought there was, a, there was some missed potential, but maybe they're saving it for the future, but she does mention, um, that she, you know, kind of where everybody else was saying like, oh, my, my uncle died. And where she was like, well, my friend, Peter, I wasn't able to save my friend. Like, I guess her friend, her best friend is Peter Parker. Um, and she's got the powers and he doesn't. And like Michael, you would know in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically just like a, a change up, you know, like instead okay. of Peter getting, um, the, the powers and, and her dying, she gets the powers and Peter dies. Okay. You know, so. I, Cause I was thinking about that as I was watching the movie, I was like, that's kind of a big deal that she is hanging out with, you know, now an older version of the guy she wasn't able to save, but mm-hmm. they never really, they don't really reference it or that she kind of feels weird being around him or has any kind of emotion because she's with this guy that, she, that essentially died. You know, that'd be kind of like if Peter was hanging out with uncle Ben in an alternate reality, he would have some kind of emotional impact. Um, and we never really got to see that from her. So I thought that was maybe a missed opportunity, but maybe they'll explore that in future stories. Yeah, it, it felt like they wanted to give you um, as much of her as necessary to, to really like the character, but save a lot of it for, you know, potentially the, the sequel. That's what I, I thought they were going with it. Well, and it could be too, you know, there's a difference between meeting, having a Peter Parker that you meet that is a Spider-Man and that one that isn't, you know? And so that could be, that possibly could be a difference. You know, when you meet one that's a Spider-Man, that's just like you, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that would be any different at all, you know, just because they would be a different person, you know, being a spider person, there's a lot of things that are, you know, very different about your character, I think, than Mm -hmm. if you were not a spider person. You know, I don't know. So that's just me totally guessing. Um, (laughs) What'd you guys think? I mean, we we talked about... Well, can I uh, first, um, just because we talked about all the spider people and everything, uh, one thing I noticed that wasn't on here, I wanted to kind of hit on. um, No, you don't get to do that. Oh, crap. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I really wanted to talk about Aunt May. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. I loved how they did her and and how you know she even even with like we're talking about with um you know because may she's always been like that encouraging one you know even though like her peter's dead she's she's encouraging all of the the spider-men uh and and spider women you know and i love that line when miles shows up and she's like took you long enough you know to where she's like, yeah, of course, like you're Spider-Man, like that's what you do. Like, of course you're going to come back here. And, you know, I, I love that, you know, it's almost like a, um, I don't know, almost like, you know, ritualistic or something that, you know, Miles had to go through her to get his spider suit, you know, that, that, you know, it's, it's a, it's another piece of, of that Peter Parker Spider-Man um, you know, that to to have that connection with May and and his suit and everything, but he has to change it to be the Spider Man that he is. You know, he's not that same Spider Man. So I just I really loved all the elements in there and and just how they did May and and you know even gave you know I think a lot of um you know Peter B Parker's you know him kind of finding his way back to being Spider Man came from you know meeting with May again. Yeah. I love the portrayal of May. I I think um, the way that, you know, we've been seeing her in the MCU with Marissa Tomei is not at all what I would ever imagined Aunt May to be like. So this was a little refreshing. Yeah, it's definitely not. (laughs) Get back to that kind of classic version of her, um, but still very cool. And I like the differences. Like, obviously, Peter in this, you know, in both in both universes it's a very similar, you know, Aunt May because Peter has a very big reaction when he sees her. And I liked how there there's similarities, but then differences. Cause then when Peter goes to like the shed and it's like, he's like, Oh yeah, I got my own spider shed too. And no no big deal. And then he's like, wait, you know, this, this is, this guy's pretentious, you know, like it's, he's basically got his own like bat lair, you know, with spider Jeep and all this stuff. So it was a, a, a good moment of comedy but a great introduction to that to the character of May. Yeah, I think May works um, in the movie really well because, again, you know, you're you're playing around with the different universes and to allowing Aunt May to be somebody who, um, she, she really feels like the Alfred from Batman v Superman, who's much more involved, you know, who's helping build the armor, who's you know a tech whiz, all that kind of stuff. Uh, somebody who's actually really helpful <laughs> to the character other than just being a butler. And Aunt May is the same way here. She's not just there for emotional support. She's a part of the team. And I thought that was really cool. You know, it, to, to if we're going to play around universes, why not make things a little bit different? And to really go for it in that sense, it made her a fun character. Um, her joke about creating a dating app so she could get out more was funny too. Um, and so I just, yeah, I thought, what it did is it also helped differentiate the universes. Like, you know, we haven't seen an Aunt May like this before. And what I also thought was really neat is that she's still there to also help Miles now, Mm -hmm. you know, and she gets to be a recurring character. And for her, even though her Peter is gone, there's a part of him that lives on in Miles now. And he carries the torch of what it means to be Spider-Man. And the fact that, she's there and has so much experience with having watched Peter for all those years 
it gives Miles the opportunity to really have somebody who understands the trials and tribulations of what it means to be a spider person, you know? So I think that was really key to add to this universe, especially since you've got to think they were thinking, if this is a hit, we can make sequels, and that would be a good character to have for the sequels. So I'm I'm excited about that. Um, we haven't we haven't talked about the villains yet that were left over, uh, other than Prowler with uh, Fisk and uh, Liv. Uh, and you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, all I know from Kingpin is the Daredevil show. And so seeing him here was very interesting where he's ginormous, um, and definitely not just a crime boss, but I don't know, like the, 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 the actual smarts of what he's thinking and what he's trying to do and everything, uh, made him a force to be reckoned with for sure. Yeah, I mean, he was very visually stunning. Um, looked different than most of the characters that we run across. Most of the characters that we came across, especially that were based in this universe, were pretty normal looking proportion wise. Um, but you know, Kingpin was a very different looking. He almost had like this otherworldly villain aspect to him in this that's a lot different than we've seen him portrayed in something like daredevil um and even in like his battles like when he would be fighting spider-man i mean he was i don't know a lot about the character of kingpin and like if he has superpowers but he definitely seemed like he had some level of superpowers that he was able to go toe-to-toe with uh miles at the end where that he was falling from these crazy heights and and kind of lifting up cars and all of that. So I was like, okay, like this guy's got some kind of super serum going on. What's the history of that, Michael? Uh, none that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, Cause that's what I thought. I thought he was just a dude, like a, right. A big dude. I didn't, this movie definitely portrayed him to have some level of power that was higher than a typical guy. Yeah. I mean, a- admittedly, I'm, I, I'm not as steeped in the, the ultimate universe. Um, so I mean, mostly I've only liked the the Spider Man stuff um, the, out of that universe, but um, I don't recall him ever getting powers. But it may be a thing that happened. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, the thing is, when you really think about it, I, I actually would say that you know all of the you know the hero characters sort of have normal physiques, but the um, I felt like the villains actually did have more unique looking builds like i mean even think about like his uncle aaron you know he had that like really scrawny um but almost sort of like oblong you know shape to him um that uh you know like like for instance his head was like really skinny but like really tall and then like how you have like a a scorpion that's just like really jacked up too and stuff so i i well, goblin too which at well, the beginning go- green goblin yeah. yeah yeah i was like whoa who's this villain because i had only ever seen you know goblin i remember the old like spider-man animated series that version of goblin or kind of what we've seen in the movies so to see him right. almost as this gigantic monster i was like whoa that's a that's new i was just gonna say that yeah that's um now that is something they they take i mean he looks exactly like that in the, the ultimate universe um so so that part you know, I felt was, was dead on, but I don't recall Kingpin looking like a giant door. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, he he does look like the world's largest doorstop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I, I and it's funny because you know I remember seeing the movie for the first time and thinking, wow, he just seems to not fit. But then when I saw it the second time, I was thinking about, well, all of the villains look strange. You know, I mean, even Liv, you know, she has the big crazy hair, you know, and um, you know, she can make herself much taller and bigger than she is because of her, you know, awk arms. And it was interesting because I felt like they dealt with the villains very well. They utilized them just as much as they needed them. And luckily, since it's Spider-Man, you don't really have to explain uh, like Doc Ock. The fact that she's a girl here who it does, you know, it's a different universe, you know. And so you you really go by what they're needed for. And we just need somebody who's really smart to be the person who's helping Fisk, who's not that smart to, you know, in the sense of like he's not a genius scientist to be building this conductor. And so I, I felt like they 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 didn't do that thing where you have too many villains in a movie. It's not Spider-Man three. Um, even though we did get a little bit of Spider-Man three when, you know, Spider-Man's like, and then this happened. <laughs> we don't we talk don't, about that. We don't actually, we don't actually talk about that. <laughs> um, so I, I thought they did a really good job of just, a, of, of using the villains for what they're needed for. Uh, and not feeling like I didn't feel like, Oh, I need more of their story or something like, um, we got as much of their story as was needed for the plot of the movie. And I think mm-hmm. this movie figured out something that past Spider-Man movies didn't figure out is that you don't necessarily need an origin story for the villain. Sometimes us as viewers just accept that's the bad guy, you know, and like, let's spend more time on the, the, the main focus characters, the heroes, which this movie did so well. Um, we really didn't get any kind of origin story for any of it. Like Scorpion shows up and we're just like, okay, that guy is a bad guy, but we don't necessarily need to know how he became that way. And same yeah. with all these characters. Well, but- even Prowler, like, I mean, Prowler's one where you would think like they might would give you more information, but they just didn't. They're just like, no, he's, he's Prowler. He never told us why he was working for Kingpin or anything. Like it's just kind of, it just was. And I, they, sometimes they don't give the audience enough credit that we can just roll with it. And we don't need it to be over explained because I mean, think of the last a number of the Spider-Man movies, you know, think of one that they didn't spend a significant amount of time on the villain and kind of his mm-hmm. motivations or, and, um, you know, I, the first Doc Ock movie that we got with, um, with the original Spider-Man movies, like that was just as much a Doc Ock story origin wise oh, yeah. as it was a Spider-Man story. And I mean, Spider-Man three, I mean, it was almost entirely right. about Sandman. Mm hmm. So it's kind of like this movie was refreshing that I was like, cool, look, we get all these villains and I don't care anything like the guy that had like the gray face and stuff. I was like, I don't know who this dude is, but okay. Oh, Tombstone. The thug. Like, well, I think yeah, that's the, the thing. It's like you absolutely said it, Aaron. You don't have to have like you realize when you need to tell a story and when you don't. You know, we tell Fisk's story as Kingpin because we do need to understand why he's doing what he's doing with the multiverse. Like, why is he creating this? What's he trying to do? And the fact that it, you know, goes through with the whole thematic elements of like dealing with, you know, your choices and how you deal with them, what you do with the consequences of those choices, all of that fits together perfectly. But like, you don't need to know that about Liv. She's just evil Doc Ock who likes creating, you know, things that could potentially blow up the universe. Cause you know, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't you don't need those stories. And I feel like, you know, the relationship you do with with Prowler, 
it's more about the relationship he has with Miles than it is about him being the villain. Right. Um, and again, that just plays in with the choice thing. Like he's chosen a different life than his brother. They were on the same path. And at some point, his his brother Jefferson makes a completely different choice, which is to turn to a more, you know, honorable lifestyle that to be a cop, whereas Aaron chooses to be basically a villain. How crazy was that audio cue that they used every time he was around? That kind of like screeching. Oh yeah, sound. yeah. No, like, I, I loved it. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. It's just because mm-hmm. as soon as you heard it, you knew. You knew what that meant. You knew that dude was around. And when you listen to the soundtrack, they actually one of the songs has that in it a lot too. Um, so it was, yeah, I was like, that's really good use of of audio there. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I remember thinking at the time like that's cool. Like it, it gives him, you know, it, it gives him sort of a unique feel and and really gives it a, you know, a, an atmosphere. I think that was something that they just did well in general. Mm-hmm. You know, like with. Um, the way that they they did the music for sure i think that really works in this movie because it's another character in the movie mm. and it's um, not really my that. style of music typically but i went out right away and got the soundtrack just because of how well the music was done and now i'm like you know it's especially a couple of the songs like uh <laughs> what's up uh, danger i just remembered the one miles is singing i love that so uh, yeah much. sunflower at the beginning <laughs> yes. yeah like i had to go and get that song right away and then what's up danger is another one that just like when he's putting on the suit for the first time and he jumps off the wall and the glass kind of breaks under his hand. Oh yeah, Christine loved on. that one. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when they they played "Say Animals Fire." I was on fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That was they they awesome. just they had such a great mix. I mean, of stuff that just yeah. once again, I mean, and that's just how this movie is. It's just like we're gonna throw everything in, we're gonna mix it up, and you're gonna think it's gonna taste like butt, but it's gonna be delicious. I, no, I mean, it absolutely works. And I think part of that is that the movie never allows you not to believe it mm-hmm. because it it has the confidence to trust the audience. I think you said something really smart there, Aaron, earlier when we were talking about the villains. It's like, just trust the audience to go with it. You know, I, I think when you think all the way back to comic book movies, um, on the show, we had been talking about all the old X-Men movies, and that's one of the things that they didn't do at the beginning of those movies. Is they didn't trust that people would go see a movie about people in yellow and blue spandex. Yeah, that's that's you like know? one of as much as I love those movies, that's one of the things that have always bugged me where, you know, the leather and he's like, "Well, would you rather yellow spandex?" I'm like, "I would actually." <laughs> well, and and that's something that I think that a lot of movies in in the comic book genre are learning, which is embrace the comic bookiness. Mm-hmm of your comic book movie you know if it's weird and wacky in the comic book just go for it it's one of the things i absolutely adored about aquaman is that it felt like the aquaman comics had come to life and they didn't apologize for anything that they put in the movie that just comes straight from the comics and i think this did the exact same thing it is not apologizing for being a comic book movie and embracing what that means in every sense of the word um and again they do that so well by immediately setting up that, hey, we're going to be uh, a Spider-Verse movie and we're going to brace the, all that means. So, yes, there's going to be a pig in the movie <laughs> that talks <laughs> That's right. and has, you know, mallets and stuff like that. So I just thought that was 
really, really smart. Um, two, like, you know, what's the thing? Anytime a, a, a superhero movie fails, I had they tried to put too many villains in it. Well, when are they going to learn? You can't put that many villains in it. And it's like, oh, my God, this villain or this movie had, you know, Hobgoblin, Kingpin, uh, Tombstone, Scorpion. Um, I know I'm missing, uh, you know, Prowler, Doc Ock. It's just like it freaking had everybody in it. And they made it work. <laughs> I like this version of Ock as well. I I haven't seen, I haven't read the Ultimate comics, so I'm assuming that it's, is it based on the Ultimates? Um, but I like this version because usually what we've gotten before with Doc Ock is kind of the metallic legs. And I liked how this these were um, more like rubberized, but almost organic feeling. And I it was a kind of, it was a cool, it was a cool look for the character. And it made her, she was pretty intimidating as she was like chopping down trees and stuff as she's coming after them in the, in the forest. Yeah. Okay. I just looked it up. Yeah. She was new. This was, she was never in the comics. Okay. But I mean, like even me, I was like, okay, no, that's cool. Like I get that. Cause it, it was a fun reveal, you know, like do your enemies call or do your friends yeah. call you Doc Ock? No, my friends call me Liv. My enemies call me Doc. That was a great line. And just the reveal of her, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't, that's another reveal that got me, you know, when she shows up and the scientist, he's like, oh, I'm going to put on the charm. And she's like, so excited to see him. And then suddenly you're like, wait, like something's happening here. And then you're like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm watching Doc Ock here. Like I, that didn't, wasn't something I was expecting. Um, so that was cool. One like like one last question that I had for you guys because I thought that this this was interesting. Um, what did for you when you know Peter B. Parker says it it's a leap of faith? What did you take away from the movie that that meant um, for the character of Miles and then just kind of as the theme that they were going for? Oh man, I'm so bad with the deep questions like this. Like I. I when I like rarely will I watch a movie and like pick up on some of the kind of those type of deeper themes. I'm like, Oh, that looked cool. (laughs) You know, like that. I, I thought the, um, you know, the idea of a leap of faith fit so well for the character of miles because so much of what he was going through was self doubt and like the new, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but they kind of introduced these powers that he's got where he can make himself invisible and he can shock people. Those he, two things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got these cool things that he can do that the other Spider-Man can't do. Can't do them on command. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I think that was kind of a, a recurring theme is, like, he had all the desire and you know, to become Spider-Man, and he was ready to go, and he kept saying, like, no, guys, like, I can do this. But he, they, they saw, like, you're not ready um, and inside he really, even though he was putting on that he was ready, he, he was very, he was struggling with his own confidence and that's why he couldn't control those powers. And once he, you know, reached that level where, and he heard that line, like, it's just a leap of faith. You, you just know when you know, kind of thing. Um, that was kind of a, a mind opening moment for that character of miles. And suddenly now he can control these powers and suddenly he is able to mm-hmm. earn the suit. So it was a good, definitely a good lesson um, and some really good lines, good writing. Yeah. And, and to me, that's to kind of expand it because I was thinking the same thing. Um, but I think it's like Miles, it was never a question of like doing the right thing, wanting to do good. Miles always wanted to do those things. But 
he didn't always believe in himself. And I think that's what it comes down to. You know, the leap of faith is, you know, it's like after knowing that, that you want to do the right thing and you're trying to do the right thing, but then believing in yourself that you can do the right thing, that you can, you know, you can be the one to set things right. And, and that was, I, I think that's like essentially what it means to be Spider-Man, you know, to, to actually step out there, take a chance and, you know, and, and, and take action. And when Miles finally got that, he was Spider-Man. It was, it was a really nice way to bring so much of, I think, the thematic elements together. And I think you guys are both hitting on something that was really important, which was, you know, Miles w- wants to, but he's not ready because he lacks the self-confidence. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's because he didn't know exactly w- what it was he did want. You know, earlier in the movie, when he's um, given the the essay to write about great expectations, you know, his artwork is no expectations Mm -hmm. because it's easier not to live up to anybody's expectations. It's easier to have no expectations because then you're not a disappointment to everyone. And like his whole fear is that he is going to be a disappointment somehow and that the leap of faith is choosing the right thing for the right reasons because you feel like you can make a difference uh, even if you fail at it that you have to try and you have to take that leap and I thought that was the thing that really brings the whole movie home which ties into the last thing that they had which is anybody can wear the mask because anybody can make the right choice at the right moment at the right time um, for the right reasons what I really like is the way that this kind of even fits. We're, we're recording on MLK Day, and you know Martin Luther King Jr. had a quote that is, the time is always right to do what is right. And I think that's what Miles kind of learns in this movie, is that I have the ability to do what is right, even if I don't have everything figured out yet. And we're always so worried about whether or not we have everything figured out because we don't want to fail. And that failure is a part of life. You know, I loved earlier in the movie, you know, Peter B. Parker makes a whole joke about the whole, the idea of like, you know, there's no better time to learn than when your life is fully on the line and you might die. You know, like those are the moments when we we kind of see what we're made of. And, and I think, you know, Leap of Faith is a part of that. Like we we have to see what we're made of. And if we live our life with absolutely no expectations um, we will never amount to anything probably Uh, and so we have to be willing to move we have to be able uh, to leap and I really appreciated that and obviously for this character it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of leaping involved when it comes to being Spider-Man especially off of buildings and whatnot and the, the, the shot there specifically of him falling down but the way you're watching it it looks like he you know it's inverted it was amazing so um that is one last thing i want to ask you guys what did you think about the way the movie comes together art wise because you mentioned that at the very beginning michael how this movie really is a work of of comic book art brought on screen what did you guys think did it work for you the way that they did this visually yeah, I think that, and again, that, you know, it's surprising. I mean, um, I was going to say earlier, like with Penny Parker, that's not actually like what 
she didn't have that anime style, you know, like um, Spider, however you pronounce it, it's it's basically like Spider written with like backslashes or whatever. But um, it actually is more, I don't know how to explain it. It looks more humanoid like instead of like a big anime ball type of thing. But they just decided, you know what, let's really lean into it and let's make it look really anime. Um and I think that's a I think that was a really clever change to to really show, hey, you know what? She's from a different world. And I think that's what was so awesome about all of it is that it's like, you know what, we can combine all these different artistic styles and and tell the story with those different styles and and show you, hey, the, these are different worlds that are kind of coming together. And so yeah, I, I thought it was great. The the only one thing um and I think it, I think it's only um, a knock that I have for the first time watching it. I think uh, any following uh, times watching it, it won't be an issue. But the uh, the blurring that they would do, because my brain kept going, "Oh crap! Did we accidentally get the 3D version and we didn't pick up our glasses?" You know, because it, it that that sort of like off-center type of blurring looks very much like when you see a 3d movie and you're not wearing the glasses so it just kind of kept bugging me every time i'm like i don't think this is 3d (laughs) so yeah i actually thought the same thing a couple times um about that i was like oh this looks like i'm supposed to be seeing 3d and i'm not and i think i had you know i had heard that that was kind of an intentional choice Mm -hmm. of theirs because like sometimes when you read comics like you know, there, there can be that printing that's kind of like offset like that. Right. And they were really trying to say, okay, if something's out of focus, if you're, if it's something that's in the background or something's supposed to be out of focus, that's the way we're going to represent it, uh, to stick to the, to the idea that this is all kind of pulled from the pages of comic books. So I get what they were going for, but I had the same exact reaction that you're talking about, Michael, where I was kind of like, something doesn't look right. You know, something, it does feel like I'm accidentally, like I accidentally went to the 3d one without my 3d glasses. (laughs) Right. Right. But, as far as the movie in general, like overall, I thought it was a visual masterpiece. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of animation um, and I love animated films and we don't get a lot of theatrical uh, superhero animated films. You know, typically these type of movies, you know, if we get a superhero animated film, it's like straight to video or whatever. And it's kind of that more traditional 2D style. But to get a really big budget and you can tell they put a lot of time and effort and a lot of money into this visual style, I was really rooting for this movie to do well because I'm like, I want more movies like this. I think you you can't do Spider-Man justice off of the page of the comic books anywhere better than you can do an animation. You know, you just something about the 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 um, of an, something about what animation brings. You can do anything with a character, and I thought like as I was watching Spider-Man in all of his iterations, his and her iterations throughout the movie, I was like, I've never seen Spider-Man look so cool than in this movie. And, and that's like saying a lot because in the MCU and like the modern, you know, take we're getting on Spider-Man and that, you know, that's all CGI and that's all big, big budget as well. But I thought this movie did better. And I really liked the style that they, they kind of tried to do the whole right off the comic book page so happy that it's getting a lot of good reviews and doing well because I'm thinking this is the beginning of a, a really cool Spider-Man franchise. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful Spider-Man. <laughs> um, you know, I 100% agree. I absolutely loved that you would see in so many frames, you know, those those dots 
you know, where it looked like the old comics. Yeah, the Kirby you know, Crackle. From the, yeah, you know, uh, where just the way that 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 mimics comics so perfectly, and and again, just the fact that they weren't afraid to make it feel like a panels from a comic book as well in many places you know or when he's like what am i doing what am i doing what am i doing what am i doing and it's just coming up on the screen what am i doing what am i you know like <laughs> it's it's funny it's very funny and it, it works so well and i'm right there with you aaron you know i don't know why more studios would not embrace this with comic book movies because you can do everything you ever wanted to do with comics cheaper and it will look more real and this like your brain will accept it even more so i think there's a stigma to animation mm-hmm. that is for kids and you know i even with pixar and you have something like the incredibles that does so well and it's a superhero movie but it's still very much in that style of like disney slash pixar hey this is for kids but adults are gonna like it too and i think studios are afraid to make a more, you know, geared toward older, you know, I mean, not that this movie was geared toward adults, but it was definitely not a Disney movie. You know, it wasn't a Disney animated film and we don't have, there's not a lot of examples of really successful animated films that aren't DreamWorks or Disney, you know, those are the ones that kind of dominate the, that realm and to have a Spider-Man movie, you know, that's fully animated like this, is something I never would have expected because things like, I mean, I'm trying to think of if there ever has been a big budget uh, animated superhero film. And the only thing I can think of is like Batman mask of the phantasm. I was thinking the exact same one, <laughs> which, you know, people that love that show thought that movie was great, but it didn't make money. You know, like that's mm-hmm. not going to be an example that they're going to use to, to say, Hey, we should make more of these. Um, and then like when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did an animated film, that's maybe the only other thing I can think of that's kind of close and that flopped too. I liked it, but it flopped. And I, and I would hardly count that anyway, just because it's so different. You know, the, the turtles in mainstream is so different from their original comic book counterparts. I mean, I know right. they they come from that, but I don't know. Just yeah. So I would just I feel like the gr- this is laying new groundwork. I think that mm-hmm. the success of this movie maybe will have uh, other studios might look at it and think, hey, you know, if Spider Man can make if they can make a really successful animated film, um, maybe we can try that with some other properties. So we'll see. Well, and it's funny because. I've always enjoyed, you know, DC's direct-to-video. Oh yeah, those are fantastic animated films. There've been some amazing ones yeah. there. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Master of the Phantasm, which did come up in the in the theater. Um, it didn't do amazing in the theater, but it is an incredible Batman. It's actually one of the best Batman films out there. Um, if you've it's never really seen good. it, I highly recommend it. We did it here on the Six O Two Club, John Mills and I. So check that episode out. But, um, you know, we, we also talked about uh, Justice League War here on the show as well, you know, one of the animated DC films. And it's great, but it's, I mean, they're not pouring the mind, kind of money you're getting here. And I think that's the thing is they really took a risk and I think it paid off. And I, when I come to this question, I think we, I know where we're all going to land. I guess my question becomes, how high does this movie rate for you? Compared to other Spider-Man movies, or just in general? Uh, just uh, what I mean on its own, you know, out of out of ten, what would you give this movie? You think? 
This one, uh, it was my favorite movie of 2018. Um, it's my favorite version of of Spider Man. It's my so it's my favorite Spider Man movie. I I'm a big fan of the character of Spider Man. He's my favorite superhero. But I there they have yet to make a movie that I really was like, oh, that's really cool. And I know this is controversial, but actually the closest they got for me was Andrew Garfield, which I know a lot of people don't like his version <laughs> of Spider Man. But right there with you, Aaron. Right there with I, you. I like him too. So um so. I was th- thrilled with this movie. Um, and so, yeah, just in movies in general, it was my favorite. It's my favorite Spider-Man movie and it's my favorite version of Spider-Man across any, anything that I've seen. So yeah, two thumbs up, 10, whatever you want to give. <laughs> like, uh, I don't typically rate movies that high, but this one just hit all the right check marks for me. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm right there with you because I, um, you know, I, I've had issues. Now, I, I liked uh, Andrew Garfield. I the movies as a whole, I have different feelings about. But but I thought I thought Garfield was a really good Spider Man. Um, but you know, the the thing is that even it, like, and it's been like that with all of them. You know, like the first Spider Man, I kind of liked it, but I don't like Tobey Maguire. I don't think Tobey Maguire is a good Spider-Man or Peter Parker. You know, um, a lot of people were like, oh no, what are you talking about? He's perfect Peter Parker. I'm like, if you only read a man, um, Amazing Fantasy 15, yes, he's good. But if you read anything past that, he does not embody the rest of Spider-Man. Um, you know, so, so there's just, there's always been things that I'm like, mm, no, I don't really care for this or that or whatever. But this one, I'm I'm still the more I think about it I'm just blown away by every element of like I said of how much they can do and I'm like no you can't do that well I guess they did they pulled it off good job you know um and and, I, and on top of that they did something that I think is important uh to to give a, a film a really high score which is you know to to be groundbreaking in some way and I think that this film was in in a few different ways so I have to give it a perfect score I think I said it up front. This is the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen, um, which, you know, wasn't super hard for me uh, in the sense that, like, I I liked the Garfield movies personally. Uh, I liked him as Spider-Man. Uh, I enjoyed Spider-Man 2. You know, that was excellent. That Tobey Maguire movie, to me, still holds up. I, I saw it last year. My wife and I watched it. I, I mean, I, I thought it was still good um, and really well done. Um, it was also a pinnacle of superhero movies as well you know is a, is a groundbreaking movie so um but yeah michael i think you're absolutely right this movie is groundbreaking and what it does for animation what it does for uh superhero movies in animation what it does for the spider-man universe and i i mean yeah come at me bro uh but this is there is no better spider-man movie than this um there they captured the wonder and excitement of what it meant to be Spider-Man in a way that I don't know if it's ever been done before. And they found a way to make a movie that was full of resonant and important themes, um, but also was fun and dark and light. And like they, they, they walked the tightrope with this movie, I thought, perfectly. And um, the only thing that I'll say that I will ding it a little bit for is at the end, the end battle goes on a little bit too long. Um, that takes a little bit too long for them to get through, uh, especially that, you know, 
oh, you think it's kind of done, but oh no, now we got to fight Fisk. And like, it just, I feel like they could have cut that down just a little bit and it would still have been just as impactful. But other than that, I mean, this is, this is like nine and a half out of 10 for me. And this was on my best of list for last year. I mean, it is, you know, when it came to Marvel superhero movies, this was the best one I saw hands down it was it's fantastic so you know if you haven't seen it i highly encourage you get to the theater and see this movie it's worth seeing on the big screen it's a treat visually um and it's going to be a treat visually to watch in 4k at home too so i'm excited about that um but i want to thank you guys for for joining me here it's been a pleasure getting to talk about this movie Uh, a real treat to talk about something that's just uh incredible i mean and you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I never knew that the word uh, real biscuit boxers would uh, <laughs> come out of my mouth on this show, but uh, I'm going to have to start calling people that. Uh, I call it a goober. Biscuit boxer. Thank you so much to our social producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah for supporting the show. Uh, Patreon is the way that you can keep this network coming to us each and every week. Uh, there is no way that we can do this without you. It's very expensive to put all of these shows out here. And if you've been uh, reading the news, you know that we've got more shows that'll be coming because there's more Star Trek stuff that'll be coming down the pipeline. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, support us. We have uh, different contribution levels you can give at with different perks, but you can also uh, just give a little bit each month. Every little bit helps. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Michael, uh, whose better half is Christy, uh, <laughs> where can people find you online? Maybe if they want to talk more about Spider-Man, since especially you know a lot about the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, or more likely they have some message they want me to get to Christy. I guess you can just reach out to me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> At, uh, I'm more sizely on, on Twitter. I also do the uh, Cloud City Casino podcast, um, and that's on the Star Wars Report Network. Aaron, it is a pleasure having you back on, uh, especially since you're the only one I've known in real life who's cosplayed as Spider-Man. But uh, where can people find you and all the podcasts that you are doing, my friend? Um, Right now, you can find me. We're kind of wrapping up Bad Wolf Radio since the season of Doctor Who has ended, but we have a couple more episodes we're going to throw out there. So if you guys are Doctor Who fans, check out that podcast. I do a Star Wars books podcast called Star Wars Bookworms. Um, which we just released a new interview with Amy Radcliffe, uh, which uh, she wrote the Women of Star Wars book. So that's a, a fun interview that you guys can check out. Um, what else do I do? Oh, yeah, I do a Disney podcast called Mouse and Castle, but Riley Blanton's on that one, so it's like, eh, whatever. You, know? <laughs> and <laughs> you might so want to skip Aaron that. barely talks on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Star Scavengers is a Lego Star Wars podcast that's kind of about Freemaker adventures, so that's also wrapping up. But we have a couple more episodes of that coming out uh, about Lego All-Stars. Awesome. Well, uh, make sure that you are following these guys and checking out their podcasts. Great stuff out there for you. Uh, you can find me all over the place under the name MattRushing02. I'm on... Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Letterboxd under that name. You can find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We have a brand new episode out, so check that out. You're going to love it. Um, over on the Nerd Party Network talking about Harry Potter each and every week on a show called Owl Post with my good friend Drag Kaufman going chapter by chapter through the series. We're actually in the Order of the Phoenix now, so make sure you check that out. It is so much fun. 
Talking Star Wars with John Mills each and every week over on Aggressive Negotiations. Every week we're picking a new topic. In fact, our latest episode, we were talking about some of the surprises that came our way when we saw Phantom Menace 20 years ago. So make sure you check that out. And then last but not least, Cinema Stories is back as Courtney Huskinson and I talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Mm-hmm.